0: Open Doors is a charity, but we work a little differently. We don't exist to end persecution, or even to avoid the things that try to stop us from following Jesus. Instead, we work to overcome these things together. For more than 60 years, we've been helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. Committed to advancing the gospel and helping the worldwide local church thrive whether that's by resourcing Christians in places like Iraq, Syria or North Korea, or educating Christians here in Australia. We know that there are always things that will try to stop us from following Jesus, but we can overcome them together. Join a movement of Christians all over the world that are courageously following Jesus. There is one body and one church of which we are all a part of. Open doors helping
1: people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. Well, hello, New Life. It is Mike Gore here. I wanted to take a minute to apologise. Two years, two years we have been working on this. And then Thursday evening, our daughter Brooke, 12 years old, has tested positive to COVID on a rat test. And because of all the public health guidelines and orders, we're now in seven days Isolation. And so all of our best laid plans have gone to waste. I'd hoped to be there with you in person to talk. Um, One of our team, Gabe, is still there. So please make sure you say a big hello to him. And today, what we've done is I've recorded a talk for you. Now, the talk is called The Three Tips to Being a Courageously Ordinary Christian. Because if I think about over the next five or ten years, I think some of the biggest shifts in religious freedom. They will happen in Western nations, nations like Australia, New Zealand, America. And so never before have we sort of moved into a more anti-Christian sentiment in society and culture. Is it as important to look to and learn from the persecuted church? People who by name, persecuted Christian, have gone before us, have overcome the bonds of cultural oppression to remain courageously close to Christ. So today, I hope it's an encouragement to you. I hope we all walk away with an understanding of three very simple things we can shift or change in our faith to make us that more courageously focused and committed Christian. New Life, again, I am so sorry. We had hoped to be there and I can assure you the moment freedom's come or we're past this COVID thing, I will be there in a heartbeat. But today, as I said, please make sure you say a big hello to Gabe from our team. He is a wonderful member of our team and he's eager to meet you all. So God bless you and I look forward to being with you soon. I've spent my life exploring the question, why follow Jesus? I guess you could call it a search to find out if Jesus is the greatest lie in the history of the world, a lie that's fooled presidents and prime ministers, scientists and scholars, artists and academics or it's real. And I'll tell you what, my desire to find out why people follow Jesus has led me to some of the most dangerous places on the planet. It was my first trip with Open Doors, a solo trip. I was to fill my bag with Bibles, these Bibles actually, fly into North Africa where Bibles were illegal, find, meet and give them to secret Christians who desperately needed the Bibles. The Bibles I was carrying were written specifically for youth and young adults. They were filled with lessons alongside the scriptures on how to follow Jesus when you've come to faith in Jesus from a Muslim background and now needed to understand what it meant to follow Him in a country where if you were found, could either cost you your family, your freedom or your life. I remember landing in this country. I was under strict orders that if I made it through security, I was to walk out into the terminal, look for someone standing on the back wall. I was to make eye contact with them and show no emotion, leave through separate doors and would meet in the car park. As luck would have it, I ended up being the last person off the plane. As I walked towards immigration, I was confronted by a staunchly Islamic man. He looked at my passport and he said, Michelle. And I said, no, Michael. He said, Michelle. And I said, no, Michael. He pushed the passport back to me. He said, you show me Michael. I pointed to my name and he says, Michelle. I said, sure, Michelle. Unbeknownst to me, the country I was in, well, it had been previously colonised by the French. And so Michel, it made perfect sense to him, whereas it sounded somewhat insulting to me. I made my way through customs. I grabbed my suitcase from the conveyor belt and I began to walk towards the exit. And I noticed five heavily armed guards standing around an X-ray machine. All the bags were being scanned and I thought to myself, I'm done. As I walked towards the guards, I remembered a prayer a friend once told me when they were smuggling Bibles. He said he would pray, God, you make blind eyes see, now you need you to make seeing eyes blind. I grabbed my bag, I kind of placed it onto the conveyor and I whispered to myself, you make blind eyes see, now I need you to make seeing eyes blind. The bag went through the conveyor. Not a word was said. I picked up my bag and I began to walk towards the exit. But now there were two lines of people and two large steel tables. All bags were being placed onto these tables, opened and searched. It might seem strange, but in that moment, I felt the Lord say to me, just walk straight through. Wait, what? No, thanks. It may not seem like it, but I can assure you that I am not the kind of guy that can randomly walk through security checks at an airport. Again, I thought to myself, I'm done. Anyway, I mustered up all the courage I could and I walked straight down the middle, through the automatic doors and out into the terminal. As per instruction, I began to look around the terminal, around the back wall. My eyes, they made contact with a man. When I say it like that, it sounds kind of romantic. I can assure you it wasn't. I was terrified. We left through separate doors. We met up in the car park. Again, not what it sounds like. As we left the airport, we had two more bomb checks on the car and once clear of those, we were finally free to talk. My contact told me that last night, the night before I had arrived, the safe house that I was meant to be staying in was compromised by a man known locally to be involved in terrorism. My contact told me, it's no longer safe for you to stay there. We're going to put you in a hotel downtown, but you? You're on lockdown because of risk of kidnapping for ransom. He pointed to the colour of my skin and he said, you look okay, skin colour, just don't open your mouth, because my accent would give me away immediately. Over the next five days, we were followed by the secret police everywhere We would spend hours each day trying to lose our tail. Then on the fifth day, it was the day we were going to make the drop and deliver the Bibles. I filled my backpack with the Bibles. We left the hotel and worked on losing our tail and then drove for several hours to a secret church. As we neared our destination, we parked the car and continued on foot. I remember turning a corner just a hundred or so meters from the church and finding myself standing in a large crater in the middle of the street. I looked around and began to notice that all of the buildings in the vicinity were severely damaged. As I kind of looked closer. It appeared as though, as though there were like a million little holes in the walls around me. My contact tells me that about a week ago, a suicide bomber had strapped some ball bearings to themselves and detonated the bomb where I was now standing. I can assure you, The damage that one man and some ball bearings can achieve is something that I will never forget seeing. We made our way to the secret church. It was located behind a 10 foot high concrete wall. As we walked inside and my eyes, they they kind of adjusted to the dimly lit room. I began to see the secret Christians, the people that I'd come to meet. We began to worship and sing. It was all in Arabic, but I'll tell you what, it was powerful. The service went for four hours. At the end of the service, I remember standing in a courtyard in the church compound and meeting with a man who through an Arabic interpreter, he told me his story. He used to be a wealthy, rich man, a Muslim man. And one day he said, God, if you're real, you need to come and see me. He told me that Jesus turned up in his living room and they spoke for an hour. He said that his wife came home from work and he said, I just met Jesus, we're now Christian. And she said, no way, not a chance. We might lose our house, our family, our money, maybe even our lives. And in a typical sort of direct North African way, he said, well, you ask Jesus to come and he will come. The next day he came home from work and there was a letter nailed to a tree in his front yard. I mean, literally, with a hammer and nail. He thought to himself, that's strange. And so he pulled it off the tree, opened it and read it. And it simply said, dear Jesus, my husband says you are real and you will come. So please come. The next day he told me he came home from work and found his wife sobbing on the kitchen floor. He said to her, what's wrong? And she said, Jesus was here. We spoke for an hour. We're now Christian. Remember, either the greatest lie in the history of the world or real. We were just about ready to leave the church and we hadn't yet delivered the Bibles. I remember kind of excitedly saying to my contact, we have the Bibles. He said, oh, that's right. He took me to the church office He kind of unlocked and opened a metal locker. He said, I'll throw them in there. And so I put them in there. He closed the locker, locked it, and we left. Man, hold up. Time out. I just risked my life to bring you these Bibles. And, well, well, number one, you almost forgot I had them. Number two, I didn't get to give them to the people and have them all thank me for doing it. And, well, number three, God, nothing miraculous happened. Man, I risked my life to do this. But you know what? The truth is their response, I mean, with the Bible, it was perfect. It was exactly right because if following Jesus, well, it's only ever about me or you being the hero, then I think we've missed the point. And the further we are from ever being able to live a truly courageous faith. We can look so hard for the extraordinary and the miraculous that we fail to realise that the extra part of ordinary, I mean the truly extraordinary, it often lies within the everyday, within the ordinary, the unseen in the seen. Isn't it funny how our desire to be the hero, the centre of attention, well it can leave us missing the truly extraordinary. Let's take a moment to walk backwards through the story and see if we can't find the unseen in the scene. I missed a suicide bomber by one week. The secret police failed to keep up with me every single day. I avoided very possibly being kidnapped from a safe house by a matter of hours and I was able to walk as though invisible straight through the bag search. The x-ray machine, it failed to show a suitcase brimming with Bibles the extraordinary, it more often than not lies in the ordinary. And so today, what I want to do is I want to give you three tips to being a courageously ordinary Christian. Just to be clear, this won't make you the hero, but it will make you heroic. It won't make you the centre of attention, but it will make you courageous. The first tip is to be visibly Christian. It's to stand in the face of culture and shine as brightly as you can for Jesus. In Ephesians 4 and verse 1, Paul wrote, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Nadia and her family, they were on their way to visit the monastery of St Samuel in Egypt when she saw some men in military clothing. Nadia thought they were there to protect the monastery. When the men shot the wheels of the bus and climbed aboard, Nadia realised she was wrong. The terrorist asked each man on the bus to convert to Islam or die. They stopped next to her son, Hani. Nadia watched on from the back of the bus and she saw Hani raise his wrist, revealing a cross tattoo. Then she heard his last words, no, I am a Christian. She says, maybe you think I would rather have seen my son make a different choice, Nadia said. And of course, as a mother, I am terribly sad and angry that I lost my son. But I am happy that I witnessed the faith I raised in him. I am truly thankful that he wouldn't deny Christ Even with his life in danger, he made the right choice. She said, and that's been a huge comfort to me. Nadia survived the bus attack despite being struck by a bullet in her arm. Without God's comfort, I would have gone crazy, she said. Her favourite Bible verse is Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body. In hell. Nadia he said, If I meet the attackers of my son and they kill me for my faith, I'll be happy, she said. Then I would join my son in heaven. But I pray that they will be touched by God so they will change their ways. Let me ask you why would honey reveal the cross tattoo and show the man with guns that he was visibly a Christian? More than that, lose everything because of it. Why would his mum finds sense of strength in Hani's choice to show the world that he was a Christian. It's because we're not following a lie. We're not following an institution called Christianity. We're following a living God who walked the earth and who today walks the earth through his spirit. We're called to be visibly Christian. Our faith and the level by which you measure it, it shouldn't be based off a set of rules, expectations and buzzwords that have been created by this Christian pop culture. It should be defined by Jesus, who walked with the broken people, ate with sinners, loved the unlovable, stood in the face of religion. He met with the rich and met with the poor. He led with a character and set of principles that he wouldn't compromise for anyone or any deal. He didn't seem to care about brand, fashion label, return on investment, number of friends on Facebook or followers on Instagram, and didn't mind looking awkward if saying no meant that the right outcome was achieved. And on top of all of that, he loved a dying and broken world with a passion that could not be filled, stopped, watered down or contained. Jesus Christ, the Saviour, of the world who ultimately laid down his life so that a sinful, broken and dislocated group of people like you and I could have eternal life with him. You want to be a courageously ordinary Christian? Well, the first step is to be visibly Christian. The second tip to being a courageously ordinary Christian is to be vocally Christian. Is to be willing to speak up and speak out about injustice, about faith, about life, about culture, is to realise that we all have a reputation and we all have a character. And the choice in shaping both of those is ours to make, not someone else's. Our character, well, it may be manifest, be shown in the great moments in life, but I'll tell you what, it is built through the reputation and the hard work of the small moments in life. Again, Paul writes in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The thing I love about Paul is that he has had exactly the same exposure to Jesus as you and I. He had to wrestle with the exact same question as you and I. Is Jesus real? Or is it the greatest lie in the history of the world? Paul, the most prolific writer of the New Testament, never met Jesus in the flesh. So whether it's 10 years after Jesus' death or 2000, just like you and I, Paul, he never met Jesus in the flesh. They never ate together, traveled together, spoke with each other. The beautiful thing about that is it means the majority of the New Testament is written by someone just like you and I. And when we read our Bible, we can really find hope in both what Paul writes and how he writes, because he knows what it means to be a vocal follower of Jesus. The way he talks about Jesus, the way he shares Jesus, it's the perfect handbook for us, the perfect reassurance that this isn't the greatest lie in the history of the world. It is real. A persecuted believer from Vietnam once told me one of the most important questions we need to ask ourselves daily as Christians is this, am I willing to live for Christ today? Because it can often be much easier to die for Christ than live for him. I wanna read you a letter from a friend of Open Doors. His name is Elihu. Elihu is from a country called Eritrea. It's on the horn of Africa and is extremely hostile Towards Christians In Eritrea, it is common for Christians to be caught, imprisoned and held without charge. Their release can be secured by simply signing a piece of paper, declaring that they will not share their faith and, more than that, they will stop following Jesus. For me, Elihu is a brilliant example of a courageously ordinary Christian, someone who, in the face of fear, has an ability to remain vocally Christian. He writes, I enlisted in the army one year after accepting Christ, but was arrested when the army stormed a secret church gathering I was attending. I was imprisoned without charge and banned from getting medical help or having my relatives and families visit me. I had no rights at all as a human being. The place where I was imprisoned for the first three years was deep underground. You could not get any fresh air and the cell was tiny. The weather was awful. I managed to read and write gospel songs or any scriptures that I could remember. But one day, the guards found my notes, tied me up, and put me out in the sun, topside, for a month. The first five days, my hands and legs were tied together so I could only sit looking up at the sun. He says it was really awful. All the skin on my head was severely burned because of the harshness of the sun. The ground, he says, it felt like a cooking plate. There was one kind of punishment where you had to look up straight at the sun in the middle of the day. We were not allowed to close our eyes, so I had problems with my vision. In fact, I still have problems with my vision. Also because of the heat, the shackles burned and scarred my wrists. Right after this, he says, I was forced to stand in a hole that was 70 centimetres wide and five feet deep. They left me there for five months. I could only stand up and had to sleep this way too. He says, by the fifth month, my legs below my knees were almost paralysed. So when I was released from that tiny cell, people had to support me because I could not walk. At that time, I was having gastric issues, visual and hearing problems, and I was still banned from any form of medical help. The guards told me, you were lower than those who were in prison. There are normal prisoners, and then there are those like you who are worthless and do not deserve any kind of medical treatment. The guards would tell me, "You." have imprisoned yourself, because you can just renounce your faith and sign that piece of paper. The key is ultimately in your hand. Renounce your faith and live free. He replied, it's easy to sign a piece of paper and free yourself, but what's the meaning of following Jesus Christ? You cannot just follow him in the peaceful and the good times. You have to follow him in the difficult and hard times too. He says, there were times in the Bible when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego could have just knelt down, but they had a Lord to follow. They did not submit to Nebuchadnezzar who told them to renounce their faith. They could have just obeyed and left without any problems, but they had gone all the way through the problems and the sufferings. God never abandoned them. Jesus Christ died and suffered for us. He says, so why should I not do the same for him? If you want to live as a courageously ordinary Christian, you must be vocal. And the last tip to living as a courageously ordinary Christian is this, you must be valiantly Christian. Deny Jesus and live or choose not to and die. It's a question that strikes fear into the heart of most Christians and forces us to question our commitment to God. But for two incredible girls from Iran, girls my age, this was their reality. Miriam and Mazier were placed into a situation where denying Jesus would literally save their lives. You see, they had been sentenced to death by hanging, having been caught after distributing more than 20,000 Bibles in Tehran, they would feel a backpack full of Bibles. They would pray and ask God where to distribute them. And then under the cover of darkness, they would walk around dropping the Bibles in letterboxes. When they were caught, they were placed into Evan prison, one of the most notorious prisons on the planet. And they told me stories of friends who were regularly beaten, tortured, abused, and even killed. On several occasions, they would be taken into an interrogation cell. A bag would be placed over their head so they could not see, and they'd be viciously beaten. I remember sitting with the girls and hearing how it was the fear of not knowing what was coming or when that was most often the worst part of the beatings. But as their case reached global media and pressure mounted for their release, the girls were regularly dragged before a judge who would simply say, write one sentence, saying that you will convert from Christianity to Islam and we'll let you go. And each time they would refuse and the judge would grow more and more frustrated. The judge would say, man, you don't understand. If you don't do this, you will die here. And they would reply, no, you don't understand. We've been threatened with death before. That's not the problem. We're not afraid of death. What we're afraid of is a life without faith, without our Saviour, Jesus Christ. What most people don't know with Miriam and Marziere is that their freedom, it came at a huge cost, physical and emotional scars that run deep, the death of many close friends, and yes, well, their story it ends the way we like it, released after 259 days with one of those exciting stories that we all crave. But a valiant trust in God's faithfulness? That's what defines this story. Because whether it worked out the way we all wanted it to or not, well, it wouldn't have changed the thing. One of the most beautiful things about Christianity is that it simply requires us to be ordinary. There's no need to overcomplicate the simple. We need only be visibly, vocally and valiantly Christian. Remember, it's not about being the hero. It's about being heroic. And the beautiful thing about that is that anyone can be heroic. Because it doesn't depend on you being strong, good looking, male or female, liked or disliked, rich or poor, black or white. It simply starts with three courageously ordinary steps. Visibly, vocally, valiantly. So will you commit today to living a visible, a vocal and a valiant life devoted to Jesus, no matter the cost?
2: Every time we hear Mike Gore speak by video or in person, there's a deeply challenging uh, message that brings conviction. For me, I don't know about you, but, but Christianity isn't always easy. It's not always easy to live out our faith. But then when we hear these stories, they give us a rare form of courage to know that there are other Christians in the world who are just living ordinary lives, but they just choose to do those three things, be visible, be vocal, and live valiantly. Yeah, I, I was thinking maybe today that actually as he's speaking, there's some of you today that feel the weight of being a Christian in our day and age. Maybe it's because you are walking through hardship yourself or there is a sense where maybe the, the, the future and the unknownness of what it means to be a Christian in our nation, that, that rests on us. And I was reminded of a verse that I, I included in my email this week from 2 Corinthians. And as I read this, would you just stand with me in this moment? The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians... And the Apostle Paul writes this not as someone that hasn't known hardship, but as someone that has been beaten, as someone that has been imprisoned naked, as someone that has been persecuted and chased out of towns by people who used to be his friends and by Romans as well. And he writes to a church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, Therefore we, let me position us in it today. Therefore we at New Life do not lose heart. Though outwardly, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What Paul is saying here is a deep Christian truth. That there is no promise in the Bible that this life will be easy. Did not Jesus himself say that take heart for you will have trouble in this world? but I have overcome the world. See, I follow Jesus. I don't know about you, not because life is easier, not because there aren't any difficulties, it's because I believe it's a better story. I believe it's true. And I believe that one day that the pains, that the hardships, that the trials, the persecutions that the the church faces in this world will come to an end. So today we stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters all around the world who right now, there is the threat of their life for worshiping Jesus. That right now, being visibly or vocally and valiantly Christian actually means that they should be afraid for harm to themselves or their family. Friends, I still do not believe that we are in a moment in Australia where we are persecuted for our faith. Our faith Our faith is oppressed at times and maybe not celebrated, but we are not yet persecuted. So I was wondering, maybe if we just pray for a moment for our brothers and sisters around the world. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would give us a faith, stir in us a faith that is valiant, that is visible, that is vocal. Would you join with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, it's it's kind of hard, God, to think about what that must be like, to be trapped on a roof, being sunburned, to be stuck in a hole, these stories, they There's this cognitive dissonance in my mind, God, where I can't relate to that level of hardship. But it grieves me. But it also, Father, inspires me to know that there are Christians out there that are so convinced that you are real, that you are true, that you are Lord, that they would lay it all down. Father, we stand with our brothers and sisters around the world right now, many of whom gather in fear. Gather not knowing what it might mean to be Christian in their nation or in their world. And Lord, we pray for courage. We pray for a valiant faith. We pray that they would know that our prayers are wisdom. We pray for deliverance from trouble. We pray for miracles to happen like they did to Mike as he's smuggling those Bibles. Moments where only God things happen and you rock up and the world sees that you are real and you are present. Father, we pray particularly for the church in in, in North Korea right now where where we've partnered, where we pray for bold faith with Christians in North Korea. That, Father, that nation would be blessed by a faith community that chooses to stand boldly for the love and grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you so much for for the way that you continue to call people unto yourselves. I, I thank you for meeting that Muslim couple in their home and talking with them for an hour, that they might know you And Lord, I humbly just pray for us. Friends, I just wonder today, if that's you, if you're sitting there and you're like, man, my my faith is not vocal. It's not visible. And boy, it's feeble more than it's valiant. And you know that God is calling you. God is saying it's time to be an extraordinary, ordinary Christian. I just wonder, would you just open your hands up in front of you right now? If you're joining us online, I'd love you to do the same. Just open your hands up in front of you. Why don't we just pause. Holy Spirit, what does it mean for us to be courageous in our world, in our time? Father, help us to say yes to you every day. We surrender our life to you again. We lay it down. For those of you who might be in the room saying, man, this faith is something that I want to live for, something greater than myself, and not even death can quench it. It's just a real simple thing that last, like we've opened our hands at any moment, you can open your hand and say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I repent of my sins and I turn and follow you. Meet us in this moment, Lord God. Friends, I just love you to stay just in prayer. We're going to sing the song we sang at the start again, "Resurrender." I have a real sense that um, it, it's it's there's a weight to this song now. Well, we actually choose to resurrender our life, resurrender our comfort, resurrender our agendas. The song talks about this idea of Jesus and, and it says, you come and clean out your temple, you're turning over tables. It's really weird phraseology if you don't understand it. There's this moment in the Bible where Jesus rocks up to the temple of God and it's used as a money-changing system to prevent Gentiles from coming to pray and know Jesus. And so he has a zeal for the house of the Lord. And he's like, this is not what my house was meant to be about. My house was meant to be a place of prayer for all nations. And this song asks Jesus to come do that again in our hearts. What part of our hearts, what part of our church need to be resurrendered back to Him for they have fallen short? And I'd love to ask that as you sing, as you join with us, maybe just asking Holy Spirit, come show us the part of our life that we need to allow you to cleanse again. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.